This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hello, Robbie. Oh, good morning, Ernie. How are you doing? Doing really well. Happy Palm Sunday. Yes, uh, same to you. Ah, I am uh, walking my dogs one last time before we drop them off at the pet hotel for a week. Uh-huh. Good. So you guys are getting away for a week. Yeah. I, uh, uh, there's a family friend who has a condo on the beach in San Diego and is letting us use it, which is amazing. Uh, uh, nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah, somebody let us do that for our honeymoon 20, almost nine years ago. It was very nice. Wow. Oh, so speaking of honeymoons, how's, uh, you said you've, you've been head down for the last month or two trying to sort of catch up on family responsibilities in your marriage and things like that? Um, yeah, I've uh, for decades been uh, trying in my own strength to live up to all I know, do all I can. Um, do what makes sense in my application of scripture to the circumstances as I understand them. Mm-hmm. And been uh, missed, uh, missed, the, missed my current understanding or new understanding that that's not the same as being led by the Spirit. And uh, mm-hmm. the process I've ended up with years of accounting to catch up on and various other things. Um, and it has become a sore spot with my wife. So we're uh, working that through at both levels, the emotional pain that she's experienced and getting caught up. And it's not going as fast as I as she had imagined it would. And so that's creating a new sore spot. Uh, and out of this, God is refining uh, both of us and dealing with issues that have been under the surface for many years. So that's my current assessment. That's great. So how are you, um, so where do you feel like you're at in that process, both practically and emotionally, spiritually? Yeah, you know, in the unfolding of global events over the last couple of years, I've become uh, really, um, I don't know, convinced is quite the right word, but I feel strongly that, the most important thing that we need is to learn to be led by the Spirit uh, because we have no idea. We, we can't anticipate what's coming. I mean, we, we can anticipate, but we can't be certain about what's coming. But right. We, Spirit, we can't predict anything with any high degree of confidence these days. <laughs> right. But we can, we can choose to rest and trust in the Holy Spirit's wisdom and love and desire to guide us. And so that's my uh, that's my core aspiration these days is to develop a daily walk where that's the most foundational, uh, even if it means that uh, there is tension or pain in my home temporarily. I believe the Holy Spirit uh, sometimes leads us leads us into circumstances where things are surfaced so they can be dealt with rather than staying under the surface. And uh, so I think that's what we're going through right now. Okay, so that gives me a uh, high-level perspective on your situation. What is your experiential reality within that situation? Uh, How do you feel? 
Oh, well, I feel very much uh, that in uh, like I'm experiencing God in a in a richer, uh, more joyful way, even though some of the media circumstances are painful, and that this is part of. So a, a couple of days ago, I was frustrated that uh, the things I was working on seemed like they were being much harder than they needed to be. And I expressed to the Lord my frustration about that. And I felt like he said, Robbie, I'm preparing you to rule and reign with me through eternity. And for that, I need to develop your character further in endurance and perseverance and patience and uh, long suffering. And this is an easier way to do it than uh, throwing you in jail or whatever else. You know, I mean, he's got a lot of ways he can uh, yes. develop qualities in it. And uh, I went from, in an instant, in that instant, I went from being kind of demotivated and de energized by how hard things were being to energized to push through on these things that weren't being mm. as easy as I thought they could be. And yeah. uh, I've, I've been noticing that when I'm going to when you know when something doesn't go as easily as it sh as i think it should that right. when i'm pushing through i'm generally learning things that i see future value to that there's a sense of the lord leading me not just in taking care of what i immediately need to do but also preparing me for what he has further for me to do and uh it's been a really good experience overall particularly now with this new sense of awareness that he is, uh, you know, using um, what refining fire or, or pressure or whatever uh, yeah. to uh, transform me more and more into his likeness. Yeah, were you quoting the Hawk Nelson song, Diamonds into uh, Turning uh, Diamonds Out come, of Dust? Yeah, that's come to mind a few times in the, uh, even the other day when this came up. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's good right now. Uh, there's a sore spot that's really sore that uh, came out yesterday, and uh, we're, uh, the family's kind of reeling from our typical dynamics of how we deal with that. But uh, I think it's uh, I, I believe God's in control and it's going to be good. And uh, another piece is, you know, it may come to the day where we face actual physical opposition and violence and whatever uh -huh. else. I've been a people pleaser. I've tried to make everybody around me happy for as long as I can remember. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I, being able to say I'm doing what I believe God wants um, and I'm happy to discuss it, but I'm not going to just change because you're unhappy about it. Um, is uh, I think that's a positive thing that the Lord's cultivating in me as well. So I'm trying to, you know, find the, I don't know, I don't want to call it balance, but the point between uh, I'm going to do what I think the Lord wants me to do regardless of what you think um, without you know, being open to conversation, um, and uh, you know, I'll just put aside what I think the Lord wants in order to make you happy. 
Um, and once you're happy, then I'll go back to doing what I think the Lord wants me to do. So, yeah, um, being being open to, you know, if you want to talk about what's going on, maybe the Lord will lead us differently. We can listen to him together, see what uh, unfolds from there. Yeah, exciting. That uh, you basically just uh, give a great prologue to the title I used for this uh, dialpad conversation, which is autonomy versus independence, which yeah. is precisely yeah. that issue. And yeah. this is exciting because it's something I've been wrestling with in a number of dimensions, and I feel like a bunch of stuff just came together for me this morning. Uh-huh. Um, let me start with my. I don't know if I shared this post with you. I've been having some really good talks with uh, David Huffman with this guy, Nathan, Nathan Barksey, who runs the Christian Study Center at MIT, uh-huh. and, um, and with my friend Anish Carvey that I do the uh, Datocracy YouTube channel uh, uh-huh. with, who is, he, he's a fascinating guy. I worked with him first at Matterport seven years ago, and he is not a Christian, um, but he comes from, um, I guess, a guru school, which you know, hold Jesus and the Bible in very high regard. Uh, And he left Matterport to go to a startup that I ended up, uh, when I got fired from Matterport, I went to work from him. He fired me Uh (laughs) and then brought me back as an advisor. And I've been advising their startup for seven years. And Uh um, just like six months ago, suddenly my job changed in such a way that uh, I became their customer uh, uh-huh. rather than an advisor. And it's a whole different perspective. Uh, I was talking mm. to you about the high, the, the high level view versus the experiential view. It's one thing uh-huh. to have a high level external view of a market and a business and a product. It's another thing where it's like, you know, the reason my life sucks is because you haven't finished your product yet because your product exists to solve this problem I am experiencing. And, you know, been a really extraordinary learning experience for all of us, um, which culminated with one point. Is a, uh, we will often pray at our meetings with him and his co-founder, who's a Christian. And Adis was always very uncomfortable. He would pray, but he would, be, he would say, like, I feel like you want me to pray in Jesus' name, but I'm not sure if, you know, I'm ready for that. And then a couple right. weeks ago, he did pray in Jesus' name. Uh, uh-huh. And then this um, conversation uh, that you're sort of thinking about in terms of independence. The reason I was framing this as autonomy versus independence is that Ish and I have had this long-running argument about, I guess, what's called Austrian economics. Uh-huh. And uh, this is very similar. I mean, it's not the same thing as, but it's, it's very, it's part of the same sort of intellectual milieu as libertarianism, right. which it, it sounds like at least the circles you hang out with probably include libertarians whether you identify with that philosophy or uh, politics at all. Really, right? yes, what politics, but I do have one friend that I know is libertarian, and I resonate with uh, his understanding of the problem of aggressive violence that's inherent in certain kinds of government functions. Well, yeah, this is the, yeah, and, and, but like the, and, and this is like the whole thing, like he's always ranting about the state, and I'm thinking, like, like this makes no sense to me because I can't understand why this obsession over the state. When I want to talk about community, 
he's like, he says the market is way more important than the state or, you know, I said, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll buy that. Like I'm willing to concede that the market is more important than the state. If you will concede that community is more important than the market. Uh, uh, yeah. And there's this, and the, uh, well, we went off in a different direction there, but I think uh, we may be finding a, a, a orthogonal resolution to that. But this gets back to my point about Cain being the first libertarian, okay. which I may have mentioned as a throwaway line in an earlier conversation. Yeah, but this is something I've been really meditating on this last few months of, of um, um, so, you know, I think it's safe to say Cain comes across as the bad guy in the biblical narrative, right? He actually, you know, kills his brother, and God's not happy about this. Yeah, and you yet know, God, yeah. Yeah, it struck me recently. I never connected it before, but when Jesus talks about if you have, you know, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. Um, paralleling God coming and speaking to Cain and saying, you know, sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. And I think all of us actually face Cain's problem. We either continue to carry murder in our heart or we actually forgive people the way he says we must if we want to experience his forgiveness. Right. Uh, well, actually, but I don't know if we all do, which is the interesting thing. And the question is, why did Cain carry this, this anger in his heart? You're saying you don't know if we all do that? Yeah. I mean, certainly at some level, we all carry anger and resentment and so forth. But like Cain, it was near the surface. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So some of right, us so, manage it better than others, maybe. Yeah. Well, I, well, I think there's there's two different ways, and, and and this is like the very this is the core dynamic that I think you've been struggling with, uh, that I've been trying to wrap my head around sort of professionally, as I've been trying uh -huh. to figure out politics and systems and startups and things like that, but also personally because I've had the same dynamic come up in the last few weeks where I felt like God was calling me to do something. And uh -huh. then the people around me, you know, it's not just that they, it's not so much that they disagreed, but they dismissed it. Right. That sense yeah. of like, well, that can't possibly be God. Uh, and it's like, and like, they wouldn't even like give me a fleet. Right. It's like, they didn't yeah. even want to ask the question. You know, and, the, to, to carry it further, there's the, a uh, place where the disciples are in the spirit telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And he's saying, why are you weeping, breaking my heart? Because the spirit's sending me there and he's telling me that I'm going to suffer. Um, and this, it's the same dynamic, I think, with Peter saying, you know, Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer. Peter says, not you, Lord, this will never happen to you. And, right. And but the idea that it's by the spirit that they pleaded with him not to go. And a very odd phrase in the Right. I mean, the way that I've always resolved that, I don't know if this is too easy of an out, is that the Spirit says, well, look, if Paul goes there, he's going to die. And like, oh, yeah. you say, like, Paul, look, like the Spirit revealed that truth to them. And so yeah. they draw the conclusion, well, clearly you shouldn't do that. Like, right. you know, Paul, yeah. and Paul's like, you don't understand. Yeah. That's and this is great because this, because this is Palm Sunday. 
right? Yeah. This is literally Palm Sunday is yeah. that paradoxical tension. Yeah. And the ah, uh, this this gets back to the point we're making, and this is so I'm only give me a little uh, psychoanalysis of pain. And okay. this is all extra biblical, like I can't prove or justify any of this. But this is how I make sense of their, that story. And because I've been wrestling with this question, and actually I, I faced a situation where I had some intellectual property that I'd created in kind of a gray zone. And I realized, like, I really want to own this. Like, it, like it was just like lying awake, you know, like, like, like this, I want this to be mine. And then I realized, wait, why can't it be mine? And suddenly I felt like I understood Cain. Do you remember Abel was a farmer, was a uh, rancher, and Cain was a farmer. And, you know, one perspective on this, which I think is consistent with both biblical and archaeological worldviews, is that prior to, like, there was this, sort of golden period where humanity lived in a rich and abundant garden. All right. Um, and then there was this wilderness period where they just had to like, you know, travel around for food. Uh-huh. Um, and then there was this transition towards, um, um, what is the, the general term, I forget what it is, is uh, domestication. So domestication right. of animals into herds and domestication of plants into farming. Right. Okay. Right. And, you know, domestic, like literally the invention of home away from yeah. a nomadic hunter-gatherer uh, kind of lifestyle. And yeah. there's two ways to go about this. Uh, someone, I, I, want to, I saw a wonderful video that says it started with Cain and Abel and ended with Oklahoma, the, the rancher, uh, the, uh, oh, the, the rancher and the cowman can be friends, which is a big dance number in a musical. Anyway, um, the the thing about being a uh, I guess animal husbandry or a shepherd, right, like Abel, is that that's consistent, or that's, that's a, uh, let's call it a sustaining innovation on the nomadic lifestyle. Uh-huh. Right, if you're living as nomads, you can still have your herds of sheep or horses or cows that you kind of follow along the plains. Right? right, and so even though you're no longer hunting them, it's consistent with the sort of um, pastoral, I guess is the technical term, pastoral lifestyle, yeah. right? But once you're yeah. a farmer, you have to say like, hey, this plot of land is mine. Don't mess with it, right? right. And I was yeah. thinking about this, what would it be like to be Cain? And like, let's put the best possible for that. Like, say that he had seen like one of his younger siblings die because they couldn't find enough food one winter, right? Right. And he's like, yeah. "This is crazy. We're just living hand to mouth. Like, I need to like, like, why can't we just like store up grain and like grow a whole bunch of it so it's always there when we need it? Like, and he finds this patch of really fertile ground. He says, "Okay, I'm gonna like make sure that this patch is gonna produce enough food to feed the whole family." Right? Uh, it's like this concept had never existed before of, yeah. of private property, right? Yeah. Of like, because like everything was always held in common. This is how traditional societies work, right? right? Even, you know, is that like, hey, you know, we're all, we're just a family. We're all in this together. And like yep. the land is God's 
and you know we we cursed we we screwed up like and it's almost still almost sacrilegious to say well i'm going to try and make it easy to get food out of the ground right because you're almost uh-huh. denying the curse that god gave you uh right and so and so like cain is building this plot of land and then like imagine one day one of abel's herds just starts wandering over and munching up all this grain he's been tending right and Cain's like, hey, well, stop. And like, Cain's like, Abel's like, what? Like, you're, you're, like, you're, you're like eating my grain. You're like on my ground. And, and Cain's and Abel's like, dude, what do you mean by my, my, my? What is wrong with you? Right? Well, the, this conflict is still played out today. With many people dying every year between the nomadic herdsmen and the farmers in various parts of Africa. Well, yeah, literally, but 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 in terms of commons versus property, I mean, right. you know, like <laughs> pretty much every conversation we've had about uh, masking and vaccines comes down to some version of this. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and like, yeah. the, and so the fascinating thing is that, and like, and so I can imagine that, like, after like having to plow uphill. Uh, you know, uh-huh. against culture and tradition, like when 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 uh, Cain finally shows up vindictively, like yeah, I showed Abel, I made this happen. I right. can see why God would have trouble accepting that sacrifice, right? Because yeah. there's so yeah. much pride, so much ego, uh, so much anger, you know. And and God's like, dude, like, yeah, you know. It's impressive, but I can't accept this. And I can imagine yeah. how Cain is like so fierce. Like he was doing all this for God. He was doing all this for his family. And I felt Cain. Yeah. Right? Because when I have this thing, I feel like God has given me to do. Like, yeah. and then my family won't receive it. It's like, ah! And yeah, yet, right. you know, and this is, and so I, I can imagine. Like, Abel is compassionate and concerned and worried about his brother. But I, right. I just imagine this scene where, like, Abel says, like, you know, Cain, look what's what happened to you. God is rejecting what you're doing. Like, right. this, is, this is destroying you. And where, like, in the movie version, I would have Abel, like, saying, enough is enough. I'm going to burn down this field so that you're no longer tempted to get involved in this horrible thing, which is destroying you and destroying our family. Yeah. Like that would be a reasonable thing for Abel and his worldview to do, and that is precise. And that and that like finally made sense to me for why King would kill Abel. You know, um, yesterday I was talking with one of uh, Ralph Winter's grandsons, who has a, a very interesting perspective that culture itself is a sinful expression of pressuring others to conform that uh, I think I've, I've not, I've, I've struggled to understand the perspective, but it's making sense to me in terms of what you're describing. And it might right, be interesting to on the podcast sometime. Well, this is, uh, I think we're doing it now, right? Because this is the thing. Is that like... Well, my, my thought... My, my point was we might be invite Dave to, David to be part of the oh, conversation. Sure, we can send him this one. Right. We can have it. But, but like, but like, here's the thing, right? Is like yep. both perspectives are right. 
Yeah. Like, yes, it was, you know, it was full of sin and ego and pride for Cain to do this. But it was also a much more subtle, almost religious sort of pride and ego that let Abel, that like Abel could not see the thing, the good in the, in the thing that Cain did that was causing evil. Right. Right. And vice versa. Right. Cain could not right. see the evil and the good thing he was doing. And yeah. this is the, uh, someone was saying, well, this is like we're trying to like, find the radical center. It's like, yeah, but, you yeah. know, the funny thing about the mathematical definition of the radical center, it's, you know, the point uh, where three circles have equal power, is that usually I draw it as like it's three overlapping circles. Okay. But the funny thing is, is that the radical center, and why it's interesting, is that you can define it even if the circles do not overlap. Like, there is no Aristotelian golden mean. Where, like, oh, okay, if I could just live in this golden mean of perfect balance, then yeah. everything would work out. And yeah. I think the reality of the world we live in is that that space is empty. These are two sets that do not overlap. And you have to choose, you know, at any given level of functioning, there is this horrific choice where you have to choose between the between two different evils. Yeah. Well, but so the thought came to me as you said that, that uh, it's like when being led by the Spirit uh, is out of step with the values of others. Uh, I mean, if you have three circles and you're in the, the radical center, which is not overlapping any of them, you've got... Right, there's what I want, stuff. and there's what community wants, and there's what God wants. Right, yeah. and you can kind right. of pick two, but you can't get all three. Yeah, yeah. And this is the and and this is the this is the um, what's the word for this tragedy, uh, conundrum, uh, something like that of what it we means to also, be human. We could also uh, call the growth opportunity. Of, well, uh, yeah, this is yes, yeah. yeah. This is yeah. The, the challenge. That's the word. This is the challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So, and this and and this is to me like this is precisely Palm Sunday. Yeah. Is because but like and so this is like a bunch of things. What is this like from this perspective? I totally understand the thing that always confused me. Because like in the traditional retelling of this, where Cain's the bad guy, why does uh, God show such extraordinary compassion? Yeah. To Cain, and it's like oh. Yeah. Because the thing that Cain was doing, and this like really spoke to my heart with all the craziness I've been through with my startups over the years, it was incredibly hard and incredibly important and necessary. Yeah. And but the reality is, it, 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 it exacted a horrific price. Uh -huh. And Cain couldn't bear it. And this is the. Um, this is the thing that was inconceivable until Christ. Uh -huh. Is that like in order to function, we have to kind of, you know, the, the human mind, basically in order to function, especially at high efficiency or high performance, we have to believe that we're right. Uh -huh. You know, yeah. like Cain has we to believe like this is the thing God wants him to do. And right. this is one of the things that I've been... Uh, really kind of working through with this uh, 100x wisdom challenge I've been doing with Pedro Adeo and that whole community is like I can see a lot of the warts and 
like downsides of some of their theology and the way they go about things. But I realized like it would be wrong for me to tell that to them because that would sabotage their ability to do what they're doing now. Is if you have to be a little bit naive, like most things in life, like getting married, right? If you actually understood what was involved in getting married, right? Which is why, like, so many people just live together, you know, and they they have they they just don't want to face that uh, challenge, and so they dodge it, right? And that is a rational thing to do, uh, you know, is to not take on a challenge you know you can't handle. And yet right. it's precisely those people who take on the challenges that they can't handle, dig themselves into a hole, and then climb out of it by the grace of God that actually yeah. changed the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, think a lot about Joseph, uh, you know, in terms of like he literally got thrown into a hole. Yeah. And then in a series of holes that God brought him out of and he threw him and then he put him back in again. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and so this was the... Um, the three-part uh, little blog post I had on identity, I'm not sure who I've shared that with, but I've been wrestling with all these things because I keep reacting to these different perspectives. And it was really helpful for me to actually write those down. Is that one perspective, actually this came from the, the Wisdom Channel, they talk about on the one hand, we are perfect and complete and accepted by God. We are fine yeah. just the way we are. There's nothing we need to change. On the yeah. other hand, we are still in this process of becoming. Right. And to me, it's the difference between being an infant, like it says in Hebrews, you know, don't be infant to only desire milk, and right. then becoming heirs, like it talks about in Romans 8.29, about becoming like Christ. Right. You know, and that they, um, and I was talking about this with my friend Jeff on the, the previous episode of this podcast, and, I, and he said, well, well, I feel like there's something there about in community. And I said, ah, and this is the thing, to your point, that, I, that struck me as very... Uh, like where we get stuck is that we have to find this identity in community, but we cannot uh-huh. find this identity from community. Yeah. Right. Like that's the thing that was so poignant about Cain and Abel. It's like, it only makes sense for him to do this if it's going to serve the community. Right. Like right. if he was just going to like, you know, find like some secret store of honey and then he kept it all to himself because he wanted to become you know, fat, dumb, and happy. That's one thing. But like he was doing this for the community. And yet, because, um, you know, the first one doing this, he has no human role models. He does it really badly. And it ends up destroying the very thing he was trying to do. Right? And that is the human tragedy. Is that all these things that we try to do on our own end up being self-defeating and self-destroying. And the extraordinary thing about Christ and Palm Sunday is this, you were talking at some point about sort of aggressive uh, external oppressive authorities or something like that, right? Um, I forget what was the context, but you kind of alluded to things like that. And the funny thing is Jesus demonstrated a whole different way of squaring that circle. Still there? Uh Yep, yep. Um, is that he says, look, both of these things are true, that it is absolutely imperative that uh, I obey God and that this is a violent, heretical, dangerous threat to the community. 
Uh, like uh-huh. they're both true. And the way I embrace that is this paradox of a king arriving on a donkey. Uh, I even made it a verb, donking is this, uh, the, the, the donkey king, is that it's the, because when we look and see these structures of oppression, right, yeah. and coercion and conformance, the temptation to say, these are wrong, I must stand against them. I must overthrow them or subvert them. Right. The problem is, of course, is it recognizes the wrong in them and is blind to the wrong in us which is why like 99% of revolutions end badly. <laughs> yeah. Right? And the yeah. alternative is this Christing move of like, look, let me affirm both of these things by um, saying like, look, I need to stand against evil and I need to acknowledge that evil has a right to punish me for it. Right. And only in submitting to that do we... Um, undermine evil at its root rather than just attacking it at the symptoms, right? Uh-huh. Which makes it stronger, right? Is by yeah. allowing, and, and this is the thing that that Cain could not know because he had not experienced Jesus. And it seems like right. we still struggle with too because we haven't really encountered him at that same level yet, but we're getting there. Is that, yeah. it, it, and, and like, so like the way I've resolved this tension or between like, okay, did I hear from God? Am I right? Or, you know, is my family right? It's like, that's the wrong question. Or it's not like the right time to ask that question. And it's precisely, this for me was like the big breakthrough in this last couple of weeks is I faced the very similar crisis to what I went through five or six years ago. Uh, And it's like, I didn't feel a need to make a decision about whether I was right or whether I was wrong and whether other people were right and wrong. Is I said, you know, I'm just going to dwell with the discomfort. I'm going to be uh-huh. suspended between heaven and earth like Jesus on the cross and say, okay, yeah. this is what I think. This is what you think. I don't know. Like, and yeah. I don't need to know. I just need to say, okay. Um, and this gets back to the, 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 the threefold identity, right? It's like, I need to say like, yes, I am a child of God. I am perfectly accepted. Not my ability to discern and obey does not affect my identity. Right. Right? And that, that was the point I made when I was talking about, like, being led by the Holy Spirit. Like, to me, that's, that, this is why it's a three-point thing. Like, the first point is, I am fully accepted as I am. The second yeah. point uh, you know, is that I am in this process of becoming. I have to grow into, like, Jesus, though he was a son, had to learn right. obedience through the things he suffered. Right? Uh, Hebrews chapter five. And like, so like, okay, so one, it's like, and secondly, like, okay, if things are hard, that's good because that means that, you know, I have this, I've been a totally weird tangent. I've been, I've been, I'm doing this deep dive into quantum physics and the foundations of mathematics because of my old, I listened to a Caltech talk from my old advisor, John Preskill. Yeah. I've mentioned him to you before, but he's like now a rock star in quantum computing which is basically uh-huh. the same little project I did from him, you know, back in 1990, 1990, 1989, where I was building computer uh-huh. simulations of quantum black holes. Uh, uh-huh. And like, like literally that simulation there is, in some, is the progenitor of this massive field of quantum computing that he's a rock star in. Um, uh-huh. And so, but one of the things that, that, that I've been thinking about is that the sort of basic unit of the universe <laughs> might be decisions and relationships. 
uh, you know, quantum entanglement and wave function collapse. And like, it's not really well understood. And there's lots of yeah. arguments about whether people should even be able to ask these questions. It's that controversial, right. but like this very thing about like, you know, making hard decisions in the context of relationships is the thing that trips us up. Right. Yeah. And, 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 like, and like, in fact, the, the libertarian answer is, well, I have a right to make my own decisions. And it's like, uh -huh. well, actually, no, you don't. <laughs> because your decisions have consequences. And the, but the uh -huh. thing is, is that the reason that God loves pain is because it's important that the people realize that they have the ability to make their own decisions. Uh -huh. You know, in that you know, the community will say, well, we have a right to keep you from making that decision. Right? Uh -huh. And that's also not really true. Yeah. Right. And, and that whole language of right. And, and this is the thing about the cross is like Jesus. And there's a distinction between like sometimes we always have the ability to make a decision, but we don't have the right. Because if we make that decision, there are consequences. And, right. you know, it's easier if we can deny those consequences. Right, this is kind of my complaint about Austrian economics. It's like, well, you know, you can't expect every company to internalize all the needs of everyone in the ecosystem. That's unreasonable. You have to be able to make these abstractions or you can't function. It's right. impossible. And it's like, well, yeah, that's true. Up to the point it isn't, right? At some point, you're polluting right. so much stuff in the river that everybody dies in your town. Like, there, there are these externalities. And it's like, it feels like the whole history of Western civilization you know, it goes back to Cain. It's like, let me focus on this one good thing I want to do. Don't bother me with the consequences. Yeah, property, uh, you know? Yeah. Sorry? Uh, the, the one good thing is the property ownership. Oh, I mean, it's a, or maybe I was... Too Sorry, your, your audio is a little uh, mumbly. I can't quite hear what you just said. Oh, I was just connecting it with the idea of property ownership. and. Right. It's yeah. like, I want to think that this property is mine, right? Yeah. And like, there's value in that, but there's also a deep lie, right? right. Because it is ultimately God's. And, yeah. you know, that doesn't mean that you have the right to deny it. But like, it's a useful heuristic. I mean, it's, it's the system. Uh, it's like, like, it's like these things that like, okay, this is a useful, what was I uh, like to say is that yesterday's brilliant innovation is today's clever hack is tomorrow's idiotic legacy. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. It was a great idea. Like, and it, at the time it seemed like brilliant, but then as you know, yeah. it's like, well, okay, it's not great, but it's, you know, we can see the value of it to like, oh my God, I can't believe our ancestors thought that way. That seems so brain dead because we see all the negative second and third order effects. And right. the, uh, the thing, and this was actually, you know, remember philosophy where I talk about individuating yeah. and connecting. Yeah. And this yeah. is where I finally realized that, ah, to individ to connect, and individuate is human. To mm -hmm. reconcile is divine. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the whole, like this is, this is the kingdom of God is where, mm -hmm. you know, we say, well, in, in order to be able to be myself, I have to be able to make my own choices and you can't stop mm -hmm. me. Uh, as we say, the, the converse is like, well, no, in order to be a community, we have to consider each other, you know, before we make these decisions. You know, or we see yeah. to exist in the community. And like, they're both true, but they're yeah. both not the whole truth. Um, mm -hmm. And the and the fact of the matter is, like, this was the, the sort of one sentence theodicy, is like the reason that there is suffering in the world is because this world was designed for redemption. 
and the, yes. and like and by definition, redemption impl implies that there is something that went wrong. Yeah. The, the good of redemption requires the presence of evil. Uh -huh. And you know, this is a very strong theology that's probably controversial, but like the idea that Jesus was the Lamb who was slain from the foundations of this world. Right. Right. The idea that like, oh no, sin isn't just this little veneer that got slapped on after the fall. There was something, uh, and then redemption was an afterthought to fix. I was like, no, this seems to be baked into the structure of the universe. Right. Um, and this is the thing that, um, and like this was really the kind of the punchline from my family did the 40 days of Lent, which I guess ends today. Uh -huh. And this thing, this idea of like reconciliation is this thing that I realized that that is the, the only ambition that is self-correcting is yeah. the ambition to reconcile. Because every other ambition can create chasms and externalities and has, right? Every noble good intention that we can think of has created divisions and conflict and alienation. Yeah. And like the only ambition that's worthy of Christ, and I would argue of his followers, who, you know, claim to want to become like the followers who, you know, those who are actually serious about wanting to become like Jesus, to be redeemers, is to embrace this cross. And like, how do I take on the sins of the world and not externalize them into somebody else's problem? and become right. a reconciler. Yeah. And this idea of reconciliation at scale is like the thing that I feel like I'm supposed to be working on. And there's probably a bunch of different dimensions to that. Uh, one idea that the, like this is a specific startup idea I have, which is sort of sitting there in limbo right now, is uh, you've heard, I think I've told you about Andy Stanley's question, two questions, like what is the thing that breaks your heart? And the okay. second question is, what is the impossible thing that, if it was possible, would change everything? Uh -huh. And the thing that breaks my heart is I see well-meaning people working very hard, doing the best they can with what they know to solve right. really important problems in ways that make all of those problems worse and harder to solve. Yeah. This just breaks my heart, you know? Yeah. Because uh, I see you know, people complaining about something and then they do something which like seems to make sense to them, but actually makes it worse. I mean, you and I have done this in our marriage more than once, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Possibly the welcome my marriage has been this. And the, and so what is the thing? And the, but the, the, the answer, when I, the, the, the answer I said, the, the, the impossible thing that would change everything is if I could make repentance more fun and profitable than sinning. Uh, like I think about this, like even in the context of church, like in church, it is fun and profitable to have church be a performance where the pastor goes and gives a talk and the worship people go up and sing and, you know, everyone shows up and they, and like, it feels like heaven, right? Yeah. It's a veneer, but yeah. like there's value in that. And it's fun and it's profitable. It keeps people showing up, it keeps the church thing, it makes us feel like, and like, there's value in that. But, you know, it's toxic, right? Because yeah. performance is the opposite of authenticity, which is a prerequisite for discipleship.
Right. Right. And so it's like, okay, if we could figure out a way to create an alternate model where, you know, actually becoming like Jesus, actually confessing your sins was like, because like, uh, this is the quote I had that my friend Nathan really liked, which is that because the only thing more fun than sinning is being free of it. Because uh, uh-huh. uh, I read somewhere that the reason we sin uh, is uh, that, well, actually, it was a secular study. It's saying, like, well, the reason we have all these dysfunctions, addictions to sex and gambling and stuff like that is because we're actually craving intimacy. Uh-huh. And if we have true, authentic intimacy, then we won't be tempted by all these unhealthy counterfeits. Uh-huh. And I think that's only half true because the other half is sort of ambition, which right. is at least, which is you know, at least locally uh, in tension with intimacy, right? right? I could, you know, be working on my startup or I could be hanging out with my kids. Um, yeah. And like, but the whole point of the, the universe is created precisely so that it, well, it, it just not to, it's not so much that, even that the universe needs reconciling. It was designed for reconciling. And, and we always want to, we want to be able to conciliate, right? Like you were saying, this tension, I want to be a people pleaser. I want to, like, everyone to be happy with me for doing the right thing. Yeah. And, like, we can't. Like, the universe is set up precisely then, because if we did, this, this is the dynamic tension that allows there to be a universe. Because if everything was conciliatory, then we would be in the Eastern universe, where God is just one big monad, and we're all just dissolving into it. Huh? Right? There's no tension to reconcile. It's just right. pure agglomeration. And it's like this tension is good at one level because, like, it helps us be creative and whatever. It's bad at the second level because it creates all these fruits of the flesh, right? Anger and wrath and selfishness and pride and lust and all these things. And then it's good at the third level because this is a fodder for reconciliation, which is the whole point. So that's sort of Trinitarian three-level thinking is uh, my very, very long-winded answer to your question of how do I live in that middle state. Uh-huh. There are two words that uh, came to mind that I think uh, maybe expand this a little bit um, or somewhere fit in. One is history. Um, mm-hmm. The you know the the sore points or sore spots in our marriage um, relate largely to the history that uh, makes them painful to process together. Um, mm-hmm. But the other part that came is uh, I was in a conversation yesterday about people who get that life is war that there is a spiritual battle going on uh, mm-hmm. with who are just uh, you know, getting by and don't, don't perceive that battle raging. Does that fit somewhere into what you're describing? I mean, to me, it's like, because like, there's, like there's like so many different levels to this, right? Because like, there's two mistakes we can make, right? One is to like ignore that there's a spiritual battle going on, right? Yep. Yep. The other is to assume that we're on the right side of it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Both are equally oh. dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and like that reconciling, right? And the the idea that that the goal is not, and this is the um, the punchline of my discussion with my friend Anish. It's it's and like this is the thing I think that he is 
understandably attracted to by the idea of markets versus the state is that markets give you cohesion without conquest, right? Where the state is precisely the sort of compressive hierarchical cohesion through conquest. Right. And he's like, you know, that just can't scale because that, that just, you know, violates humanity. He uses the term free will, which is more problematic for me. But like, yeah, it's inhumane. Um, but it works because it creates cohesion. And this is the the sort of ugly truth that we have to confront is that we have to actually redeem it with something better, not just reject it. That's, uh, that, that, you know, that's the verb donking, right? To donk is precisely to I define it as the art of replacing the suppressive hierarchical, uh, compressive hierarchical structures with tensile relational networks. Uh -huh. And in particular, it is precisely this, this three levels of, first, I have to start from the fact that I'm accepted by God, and so is everybody else. Right. Right? If you say, well, I'm okay, but this person is messed up. It's like, no. We are right. all fully, fully accepted by God as we are at this point in time, and in right. an eternal sense. But we're also in this process of becoming, where we have to, and, and, and not everyone is on this journey. Not everyone yeah. is enrolled in this journey of becoming like Christ, of getting right. nailed to a cross, of wanting to do that. But if you are, then you realize yeah. that suffering and difficulties are in some sense illusory, right? These light and momentary trials are precisely the things that allow us to, like Christ, learn obedience through the things we suffer. Right. And it's only as we do that that we can be in community um, without uh, identify we, we we identify with our community, but we don't get our identity from our community. Right. That is the the miracle and the tension and the paradox. Sure. And like and I think it's, it's probably in that order too that we have to first. Uh, you know, that was if, if people are not secure in being loved by God or being loved by me, then I can't call them into sonship. Right. And until you embrace sonship, then you'll never be able to even understand how to live in this tension between, you know, with community, but not of community. Um, I don't know. If I, I, I need to wrap up now, but you can have the last word if you want. I was going to say, I, I don't know if I've communicated this effectively, but I began to think about, you know, we the idea of being Christ's bride. Uh, I think makes sense to many people, and we, you know, whatever. That, but the idea that sons of God is something more than just children of God, mm. um, because of the feminist, you know, effort to try and make everything uh, not male uh, exclusively. I think we miss uh, something there, and uh, maybe we can talk about that in the future. Okay. Yeah, but you know, that, yeah, I, I, I have been using the term air because it's actually uh -huh. less ambiguous in both directions. Right. You know that the biblical term, right, is that he, 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 so, the, so the distinction of so the, the most extreme terms are sort of infant and air, and child and son are kind of ambiguous that way, and uh -huh. so I found that a useful way to frame it. Uh, I do well, use the term sonship because I do want to redeem that term. But yeah. you know, because you know, because in, in our culture, son, you're, like you're a son as soon as you're born, right? Right. And, yeah. and that sort of glosses over this idea, and therefore, I think infant and heir is a probably more technically precise way of talking about it. Yeah, and part of I think the biblical sense of 
sonship is what happens with the male heir, you know, in the, the, the right. structure. Right. Yeah. Right. And the right. idea that, you know, my understanding is that like at bar mitzvah, the child becomes an adult, but he doesn't become an heir until his father dies or something like that. Yeah, yeah some whatever the age is, adult, yeah. Or, or something, or, yeah. Anyway. Not an adult, but yeah. Yeah, right. Maybe when their father dies, but God's never going to die. So it doesn't quite fit over there, but. Yeah. Well, yeah. Actually, this gets to this. Actually, this does get to the issue of uh, maybe ascension, right? Because Christ sort of died and then he came back and then he ascended. And like this is what I think of this vision of sonship leadership. I think you know she saw my rant about infants, mystics, and paternalists uh, yeah. and being sort of the backbone of the church. And the idea of sonship as the alternative is that when we create ministries we end up becoming paternalists because we want people to like embrace the truth that we know. And right, yeah. the, the, this keeps them stuck in infant mode. And, and this is an argument I'm having with Jeff, which will probably continue hopefully in the next episode is that, well, like, you know, he's pastor of a community. He doesn't want to leave them. He doesn't feel like Jesus really left them either. I said, well, yeah, but there's yeah. this sort of impresence we have to get to where we are uh, like, you know, like very much, sorry, the dog wants to go into the backyard, but we have guests, so he can't, um, right. that Friday morning of DBJ last year, where I was like, logged on, seeing you, observing you, feeling and reacting, but I wasn't present in the call in a way where right. I could correct you or complain or, you know, condone mm -hmm. or whatever. And right. that, that sense of like, I think I told you, like, yes, I finally understand why Jesus had to leave the disciples. And that's the kind of leadership that we have to prepare for. Yeah. The dog um, does a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, I got to go finish up. And before, you post, before you post this podcast, I'd like to review the first section um, where I kind of gave you an update on how things yeah. are going here. Yeah. Um, sure. So. All right. God bless you. Later. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>